this is Craig Medaglia from the Wally Mathot Show. You are listening to the Third Line Plug Sensecast. How's it going, everybody? Welcome to the Third Line Plug Sensecast. I am your host, Taylor Gibson. Joining me, as always, from the tropical metropolis of the Calgary, Alberta, my co-host, Tam Jensen. Tim, when did Calgary, Alberta become the Calgary, Alberta? I mean, it's always been the place to be, so you just know. It is true. I mean, very much, you know, given Alberta is the Texas of the North, it's going to be it's going to be the, not just Calgary, Alberta. <laughs> so, Tim, I'm super excited for today's episode because today is part two of our season preview show, the Canadian Teams Edition. And I got to give some shout outs. First of all, Al Seldo, Adam Seldo from Pension Plan Puppets for the Toronto Maple Leafs, good friend of the show, Scott Cowan from Puck Pros and Puck and Roll Podcast, joining from the Montreal Canadiens. And we just finished up with. Adam Copeland from the Zoopcast for your Ottawa Senators. Yeah, and there's uh, a lot to go over, and hope you had a good time doing at least the Sens and Habs part portion. I did. Well, unfortunately for myself, I was I had to do the Leafs and the Habs solo, but I'm glad that you and I got together to do the final portion for our Ottawa Senators. So without further ado, Tim... I think we should throw it over to Adam Seldo to talk about the Toronto Maple Leafs. Taking off the Canadian portion of our season preview show. Representing the Toronto Maple Leafs as a staff writer for the Leafs blog, Pension Plan Puppets. Please welcome to the show, Adam Seldo. Adam, how's it going? Welcome to the show. Hey, thank you for having me. It's always nice to be wanted. So it's a real, real big ego boost to come on the show. I know. And you know, it's funny over the last couple of years, like we've had a number of Leaf podcasters, but we've never had a Leafs blogger that came on the show. So super excited to have you on. Now with Doing this podcast, like one of the things I always like doing anytime we get to work with somebody new is I like to take a few minutes to just get to know them a bit better. Now, in saying that, I something I always love hearing about whenever it's through the show or meeting somebody in person is how they became a fan of the team that they cheer for. So in saying that, how did you become a fan of the Toronto Maple Leafs? It's not the best reason to ever become a fan, but Fordham. <laughs> I wasn't a huge hockey fan growing up. And so I bounced around from team to team, shamefully, you know, I first started paying attention to hockey around 93. So the Canadians were the team I cheered for. Thankfully, I outgrew that fast, bounced around a bit, Sharks, Sabres. And then um, I was working in the kitchen of a pizza place. And when we were really slow, I just read all the newspapers we had or listen to the radio. And since I'm in, you know, so close to Toronto, we got the Toronto papers and we're always talking about the Leafs and Leafs games are always on the local radio station. So that's how it came to be. It was kind of 
it was just kind of something to kill time at work. And then it, it, it evolved into uh, overwhelming obsession. Okay. Well, given you're from Ontario, like I'm not surprised to hear that you cheered for the Sabres and the Habs. San Jose seems like a team that just kind of seems out of left field for somebody from Ontario to cheer for. Well, me and my friend used to play uh, NHL on the Super Nintendo, whatever year he had, and played against the Sharks because they would play the Jaws theme on the organ in the game. And Arthur Zerbe had a funny name. So <laughs> that was like, all right, I'm a Sharks fan now. And then that lasted as long as we played that game, you know, moved on from there. But that, that, that's how the Sharks came about. Okay. Whereabouts in Ontario are you originally from? I'm in St. Catharines in the Niagara region. So stuck between Lake Ontario, Lake Erie, about halfway to Toronto, halfway to Buffalo. Okay. Yeah, that would make sense. I know a friend of the show lives in Welland, so he knows all about that Sabres and the Leafs. Now, another thing I always like hearing about through this podcast is how our guests came to write for said blog or the podcast that they do. This is kind of new ground given like, given the last couple of send or sorry, given the last couple of years that we did in the season previous shows, we've always had leaf podcasters there. We've never got a chance to work with any of the bloggers. So for yourself, I would like to hear how you became a staff writer for pension plan puppets. Uh, well, I was in the comment section a lot. Um, at the time I had an office job, very bored again, boredom comes into a lot <laughs> with the maple leaves. Uh, I don't know if that's good or bad, but uh, so it was in the comments a lot. And they said, Hey, we need help writing like the morning links post, you know, the, the you know, chat groups for game times, that kind of thing. So I was like, ah, sure. Why not? I'll help. And then that's pretty much just how it came. I just hung around long enough until they accepted me as a permanent part of their life, kind of like how I ended up married. So it was perfect. And then I've been writing there almost 10 years now. Nice. Now, did you have any background in any writing or creative writing prior to your job with Pension Plan? Well, I went to school for broadcasting, specifically and wanted to work at like TSN or Sportsnet on the production side. But TV production is a really hard job to get, especially if you can't afford to work for free for a long time. So I ended up working at uh, another broadcaster behind the scenes in advertising and uh, schedule making. But, you know, I've always had a bit of that creativity in me, and it, this was a, a good outlet. So I worked at Pension Plan Puppets. I had my own OHL blog for just a little bit, you know, trying different things out here and there. And, you know, so PPP was good enough to keep me on. Now, now you did mention that you do have a background going to school for TV production. What uh, university or college did you go to? Uh, I went to Seneca College at the York University campus. Um, so that, that was about it. I was like, okay, well, I, I got into Loyalist and Belleville, Niagara College and Welland. Uh, but I was like, well, Seneca's, they gave me an accelerated schedule. So 18 months, just working right through, no breaks. And I figured they were in Toronto. So it was the best place to be if I, for internships. And stuff. Mm. Did you get any, say, did you apply to say like CKDJ at Algonquin College at all? No, I just pretty much stuck to whatever was around Toronto or within a decent distance. Um, I just, uh, I really didn't know quite what I wanted to do, but I knew no, I enjoyed TV production. So I co-opted out our local uh, cable station in high school. So I was like kind of scattershot, whatever was close to Toronto and cheap. So I stuck to college, not university. So 
let's move let's move away from talking about yourself. Let's talk about the Toronto Maple Leafs. The 2021-22 season was yet another fantastic regular season for the Leafs, finishing 54-21 and 7 with Austin Matthews becoming the biggest story in the NHL, becoming the first Maple Leaf since Dale Dave Andrzejczyk to score 50 goals and becoming only the third player in the post-lockout era to score 60. However, the Leafs again failed to make it out of the first round for the fifth time in six seasons, despite greatly outplaying Tampa Bay. All that being said, though, overall, what was your thoughts on the last season for the Leafs? I thought last season was was wonderful. It was one of the more exciting, more fun seasons to watch. Um, I know a lot of Leafs fans had the win around or it doesn't matter hanging over the season going into it. But I think what we saw from this team was this is probably one of the best, if not the best teams I've been cheering for since the late nineties and just watching, you know, the, the talent of these young players, Matthews and Marner and Nylander and bringing in, you know, experienced vets like Tavares and cheering for Jason Spencer to finally get his cup, you know, really made that season the regular season, uh, something to not forget. You know, it, it was an amazing time to be a Leafs fan. It's so enjoyable when they were winning and scoring goals. And I was there when Matthew scored his 50th. I was at that game. Just you know, I go to like one game a year and that was it. It was amazing. So, you know, regular season-wise, it, it was the best thing I've ever watched. Uh, and then the playoffs were the Leafs in the playoffs. Now, heading to the season, one of the big storylines for Toronto is involving defenseman Rasmus Sandin and his current holdout with the Leafs. Now, his tenure with the Leafs has been overall seemed pretty positive one as he's routinely been as the least one of the least better defensemen. Now, I might be out of the loop given the summer they've had with traveling and whatever, but what's the situation between Sandin and the Leafs currently? I, I think it's just a young player wanting wanting to get paid, you know, because you never know when it's going to end. Um, you know, I can't blame him for, you know, wanting to make the most out of his opportunity and what he has. And I, I can see some frustration for him from the least bringing in more players to stay ahead of him on the depth chart, like Mark Giordano, for example. But um, I think it's just a, a simple negotiation between young player who thinks he has a big impact on the team and a team that doesn't have cap space. So, you know, from, from everything we're hearing, he's still in Sweden, you know, training and everything. And I, it may seem to go the William Nylander route where, you know, he's just going to wait it out. Uh, however, I don't think he has as much pull with the team uh, as Nylander did. Whereas Nylander could be like, you need me because I'm one of your top forwards. Whereas Sandine is, well, I don't know, the top He's a top six defender, but he hasn't exactly proven he's a necessity to the team. Defense has always been a weak point for the team lately, and, and having Sam would, would really help going into the, the season. I, I don't think he's, you know, as, as he a part of the team as he seems to think he is. Mm-hmm. Well, do you feel that if he was, say, a top two or a top four defenseman, that that would have changed the dynamic between his status right now? I think it might have if, if the team was more desperate for, you know, his ice time. But he, he hasn't played a lot either. Um, you know, he's been taking a pretty typical path to the NHL and in development. So, you know, the Leafs could use him, but it's I don't think it's something that's going to 
break their season if he's not there. Like, mm-hmm. you know, missing Nylander. Did. Yeah. Well, we're, correct me if I'm wrong, but isn't uh, – I heard something, maybe I'm wrong here, but isn't Jake Muzzin injured right now? Maybe that could help the Leafs kind of come back to the table with him? That might help. Uh, Muzzin, uh, Liljegren is has a hernia, I believe. Um, so, yeah, that, that might help going seeing as how the preseason goes. But if he's not in Toronto – waiting and negotiating i don't think they're i don't think it's close so i think both sides are kind of holding firm in their position especially because we can't afford to pay him what he wants so it might have to be a post uh season opener decision to be made if someone can go on ltir they can clear up some space make a trade um and find room for him now another big story coming into the season with the Leafs is revolving around GM Kyle Dubas following their fifth first round exit in April. As somebody who isn't a Leafs fan, I've, I honestly thought Kyle Dubas was going to get, was going to get fired this off season, given that again, you have all this talent, you have everything going, you still can't make it out of the first round in regard to Dubas. Is it a fair assumption that if any season he has to actually make something, is this possibly his final shot as Leafs GM? Oh, it absolutely is. Um, you know, we, we've heard he's not getting an extension. He's not getting a contract extension before, you know, the playoffs this year. And that's absolutely fair. I mean, he's not getting fired early. They just might let his contract run out. But, you know, that as random and as hard as the NHL playoffs are, yeah, if you don't make it out the first round after four attempts so far, that, that's got to be it. I don't think it – I don't think it'll be – fair because the team he's built is amazing you know the team he's helped draft is great but i think that's just the way it goes you know miss don't make it out of the first round for four years or or so straight i think it might be time brendan shanahan might be like all right we're gonna try someone else you keith go and i i couldn't blame them for it but i could blame them for it a little just because you know you can build the team, but you can't control, you know, the calls and or the puck bounce. Well, I think for myself, being an outsider and all this, I think the big thing that he really handcuffed himself and, and naturally, I mean, when you have guys like Austin Matthews and Mitch Marner, you have to pay them. But at what point when you're throwing 33, $44 million at what, four players, five players, like you can't really blame him for not being able to build anything around them at that point. No, that's fair. And you know, Stanley Cup winners don't have multiple $10 million plus players on them. So yeah, that, that is a hard point. And as a fan, you know, I want to see the team have as much cap space as possible. And Lord knows I hate the salary cap for making me care about how much a player makes But, you know, then as a, you know, as a person, I'm like, no, man, you guys are the reason they're making money. Go get paid. So it's a very hard balance for me to make, but yeah, that, that's one of the handicaps he's given himself. And, and, you know, we knew Matthews and Martyr were going to get paid. And then bringing in Tavares was like, we finally got a big, you know, free agent. But he got paid a lot, too. And now Morgan Riley's new contract is way up there, too. So I think this – but those core players are ones you can build a great team around. It's just really hard with the cab not going up. So – I see it from every perspective that, yeah, this is your fault 
it's also kind of not your fault you're not winning but you're the one that's gonna have to wear it either way no matter what happens yeah well, even for myself being an ottawa fan like i watch how pierre dorian's built the sends right now where you have all this talent up front and he's just looking at us like you are not getting more than 8.4 million dollars i'm sorry but that's the way it is like the fact that stutzla got eight three you think of all the talent there, it's pretty good. Now, I do want to talk about Kyle Dubas for a second because, you know, over the last several years, when you look at the number of GMs that the Leafs went through, whether it be from Brian Burke to Cliff Fletcher to whoever, like, as a Leafs fan, like, how would you rank Kyle Dubas's tenure as a GM in Toronto? Since Brian Burke, I'd say he's probably the best they've had. You know, Pat Quinn was a good GM before the cap, uh, but the way he wanted to build teams – it didn't work afterwards. And then John Fergus Jr. taking over. I don't know if he took over immediately when the cap uh, came in, but he really didn't know what he was doing. I don't think it was time for a good old hockey boy when, with the salary cap coming in. So when Kyle Dubas was GM of the, the Sioux Greyhounds, I was really hoping he would become GM of the Leafs, just seeing how he had some new ideas, but he was still, he still knew the game because he'd been around he'd be the Greyhounds since he was since he could walk. Uh, so I was really excited when he was named assistant GM and then GM of the team. And I think he's done the best job out of any GM we've had in the salary cap era because he hasn't focused only on one type of player, like one type of game. He has brought in people from all, all sorts. You know, I mean, People called him a math guy, an analytics guy, but he did sign Rich Bloom to an NHL deal when he first took over. So he knows, you know, what kind of players you need. It's And he's put together a great group. Um, so, and he's made some great trades, made a couple bad trades, everyone does. And he's not the best negotiator, it, it seems like, but I'd still say he's probably the best GM the Leafs have had in the salary cap era. Now, say hypothetically, if, if the Leafs get knocked out of the first round once again in 2023 and Kyle Dubas ultimately loses his job, as a Leafs fan, like, who would you want to see replace him as general manager? You know, it's funny, as a Leafs fan, I'm normally, I'm looking towards the future. I'm looking, you know, this is what I want in the future, and I haven't thought about that at all. Um, I really don't know who would want to take over his GM. I've had plenty of coaches in mind that really wanted Bruce Boudreaux to coach the Leafs. And, you know, he's always wanted to coach the Leafs. And I think his style would have fit well with the offensively talented players we have. But GM, I haven't thought of another one. But if I were to pick one, I I think, again, I would go out of the usual pile of 40 GMs that are constantly being recycled. I think it would... be best for them to continue in the line of grabbing someone uh, from not obscurity, but from leagues we don't normally pick from, you know, maybe grab a European GM, try that out. Why not? I mean, we already have all these core players locked up and drafted. Maybe try something new from there. But, you know, if I was the Leafs, odds are I'd say it'd be one of his assistants, who I can't even name because <laughs> I haven't thought that hard about who would replace Dubin. You know, it wouldn't be Brandon Pridham. He's just a, cap guy um you know maybe they go off the board and yeah i i honestly have no idea i'm sorry that's a terrible answer for this question for your podcast but. no that's fine no i know oh, i kind of put you on the spot there but given that you did mention coaches and you do have a few coaches in mind okay let's say sheldon keith if, if sheldon keith loses his job this this offseason 
Where, what would you like to see happen there? Yeah, Bruce Boudreaux was the one I wanted the most, but he's not going to leave Vancouver now yeah. at all. Um, you know, yeah. I always liked Marty Williamson. He's currently working with the Barry Colts of the OHL. Uh, he was the Niagara Ice Dogs coach and GM for a while. And th- those teams, like these Leafs, had a good mix of offensively talented players, defensively minded players, and then guys who can, you know, play any style you want. And he worked well with them despite, well, perfect with the Leafs, never won a championship, but, you know, took the Ice Dogs to the OHO finals uh, and just lost out to a, uh, an insanely talented London Knights team, like the Leafs losing to an insanely talented Tampa Bay Lightning team. But, you know, he's always someone I, I would want to see with an NHL role. And then, I don't know, again, let's find someone who's never coached in the NHL before because, you know, again, I'm sick of the, the same recycling bin of coaches we've always seen. So, yeah. no, after Bruce, I never thought of anyone else. Well, I was going to say, what about Barry Trotz? Well, Barry Trotz is kind of the same, kind of the same style, I guess. Why not? I mean, you might want to go with someone more experienced after coming from Keith, who's getting his first NHL job. And uh, maybe someone with a less divisive background as Keith as well. So Trotz might be the guy, bring him in, bug him into an already built team. Hey, perfect. Yeah. You know, it's funny through this segment, I mean, we've talked about the Leafs offensive talent. We've talked about it on the back end, but the one position we never talked about is in goal. And over the last several seasons, that's the one area that Toronto has been very solid in, whether it be from Frederick Anderson to Jack Campbell. However, due to the cap crunch, the Leafs once again saw another star player head out the door with Jack Johnson signing in Edmonton. In his place, the Leafs completely scrambled to find a replacement. And as a Sens fan, I mean, they made that eyebrow-raising trade with us to acquire Matt Murray and his $6.25 million contract. Now, when it comes to Matt Murray and the trade, what kind of a reaction did you have? Like you said, it was eyebrow-raising. It was it was surprising. We fell into the usual, oh, it's a guy from the Sioux. It's a guy Dubas knew in junior, you know. Uh, that he seems to love so much. And we have our new goalie coach was Matt Murray's goalie coach and junior. So, yeah, it was surprising and not surprising. Um, a lot of these fans had Billy Huso or Marc-Andre Fleury on their list. That's who they wanted to take over for Campbell. And Huso signed for less than what Fleury's making. So people were really questioning that. But, um, you know, that was, that was weird. But Dubas likes reclamation projects as well. Um, and Murray seems very excited to be a leap and, and, you know, a lot of interviews have come up and he's thinking that this is his chance on a, on a huge stage to show that he can still be the guy he was with the Penguins who won cup. Um, but what I've seen a lot of these fans more excited about is, you know, the, the mystery bag that is Samsonov, you know, people are debating who's going to take the starting role out of camp everyone's assuming it's Murray he's more highly paid he's got a bigger resume you know he's more intimately known to the front office but you know what if this Samsonov kid comes out you know and and wins the role from him hey great you know if we have two players that are equally motivated in in goal and two guys who don't know who the starter is going to be they're going to be fighting hard every night for it so I think that's a bit of a plus to the Leafs in goal you know before by going into last season, Jack Campbell knew he had the starters role. So, 
you know, he was comfortable and he was, you know, okay with it, but, you know, and he was great at times and then not great at other times, you know, because he's never been a starter before last like a hard, you know, more than 40 game played starter. And he, that might've been nerves for him. So I think this year with Murray coming in, looking to, I don't know, polish his name up again and Samsonov looking to take the reins because Samsonov has said other people offered him better deals, but he thought the Leafs were a better opportunity. So with both players coming in into the season with that mentality, I think it's, it's going to make the, the skaters feel more comfortable with what's going on in that. You know, and if they can come out of the come out of the gate with some great performances, that'll just boost everyone's not ego, but you know, motivation, I guess, uh, for the upcoming season. So I think it's a gamble, but I think bringing in Murray is a good game. Because, I mean, I, I was gonna say, I was gonna say, even as an Ottawa fan, like when we acquired him a couple of years ago from the Penguins. Ottawa fans said the exact same thing. It was like, okay, we knew he had his struggles in Pittsburgh, but now he's coming to a fresh start. He's ready to go. And then he just, he can't stay healthy. And I think that was where that really shocked me when the Leafs went after him, because you're like, okay, so you lose Jack Campbell and you've decided that this injury prone Matt Murray, who hasn't played more than 30 games in the last two years is going to be your guy. Yeah, and, and I think the way you said Sens fans are actually getting Matt Murray's the same way as these fans, as hockey fans, can talk themselves into any transaction their team makes to try mm-hmm. and convince them it's a good one. So, yeah, I get that. <laughs> and I definitely thought all those thoughts about Matt Murray, what is this? I remember just working on our draft, you know, uh, on the website, working the draft on the website, and it was very confusion amongst everyone on the site like why is this what is happening what are we doing do us just look beyond the greyhounds or something but this time it'll work for us yeah like what do you make about all these leaf fans on social media that say oh yeah matt murray's gonna win like 35 six, 37 games next season as the rest of us are looking at him like really he won like five last year for us well fan is short for fanatic and social media brings out the most I myself on Twitter a lot with the Leafs, I am blindly optimistic about literally everything they do because I have to convince myself of that. Otherwise, I'll just be miserable. So it might be a bit of that. It might be a bit of self-motivation coming into the year. It might be a lot of bias towards the Maple Leafs, but I tend not to listen to what people say online because I know how I act online and I'm really just saying these things so I can hear it myself. I'm not, I don't have expectations like that for Murray, but I have expectations the staff around him can help him improve. And, you know, battling with a young, hungry Samsonov will, will help, you know, everyone. Yeah. I just, I shake my head when I see Lee fans on Twitter trying to stoke the fires, even as a sense fan. Cause I know uh, friends of the show, buds all day podcast, like they're stoking that fire with the sense. And I'm just looking, I'm like, Really? Really? <laughs> you do realize this entire fan base could swarm you right now and you have nothing to say about it? Yeah. I mean, shaking your head and saying really is the perfect example of interacting with these fans on Twitter. That, that sums it up pretty much. We're just, we're just trying to, you know, boost our morale. 
So Adam, I've really had a great time chatting with Leafs hockey with you, and I greatly appreciate you taking time to do this podcast today. Now, before we head off into the close, where can our listeners find you on social media and where can they find pension plan puppets? Well, you'll find pension plan puppets at pensionplanpuppets.com. We're part of the SB Nation blogging network. Uh, you know, we have a lot of good coverage of the Maple Leafs as well as the Toronto Marlies, maybe occasionally the Newfoundland Growlers when we remember they exist. Um, and uh, I'm getting going to work on more OHL, CHL stuff for the site again this year. So I'm looking forward to getting back into junior hockey as well. Uh, okay. Social, you can find me at E-L-S-E-L-D-O-L, Seldo, Spanish for the Seldo, on Twitter. Um, and apparently I have an Instagram account I get notifications on, but I don't know what that is. And I don't know how I have it and how my pictures end up there. So I'm very old. Uh, the internet scares me. So I just hide on Twitter. Yeah, it's like, what was it, uh, Grandpa Simpson? He's like, I used to be with it, but then they changed what it was. What is it, isn't it? And what is that seems weird and scary to me. And it's going to happen to you. Yes. What I tell my kids all the time when I try to explain ICQ to them. Now, final thing I do want to ask, given that I, we are asking all of our guests the same final question, what is your prediction on the Leafs finish in the Atlantic Division this season? In the division, they'll be fight. They'll be battling for the top of the division. Uh, Tampa Bay is always up there lately, and it's incredibly annoying. But I think the division will just the top of the division will come down to the Leafs and the Lightning, uh, with a few other teams fighting for the rest of it. But that's all I'm focused on just just beating the Lightning. So I figure the Leafs will place at worst second in the division and lose in the first round. Representing the Montreal Canadiens is the co-host of Puck and Roll podcast and his returning guest to the show. Please welcome back to the show, Scott Cowan. Scott, how's it going? Welcome back to the show. I am doing very well, uh, Taylor. It is a pleasure to be on as always. And yeah, looking forward to talking about the Habs for a little bit here. I know. I mean, it's going to be sucky having to talk about last year's Habs, but you know what? We're going to have a lot of stuff to talk about. Now, before we get into that, and it is kind of hard to believe, Scott, like it's been almost only less than a year since your last appearance here on the show. I got to get you to give a bit of an update on what you've been up to since your last appearance. Well, uh, not a whole lot has changed, honestly, in relation to my sort of path with sports journalism. But at the moment, I'm entering my second year of studies in film animation at Concordia University. And I'm at the moment just looking into perhaps covering Concordia sports teams a bit. But in terms of the actual NHL, I'm still writing for Puck Pros on Fansighted's uh, network covering the NHL in general. And I am also going to be covering the Phoenix Coyotes this year for the website Howling Hockey. I have moved on from covering the Canadians. So I'm going to try and take a look at a team that's maybe has a little bit, little bit less expectations surrounding them. So yeah, I think it'll be interesting to see how things are going on with that. And and of course, Puck and Roll podcast has just entered season two with my wonderful hosts, Patrick Lorty and Sebastian High. And yeah, we're really looking forward to getting to talk about all things Habs going into what should be a really fun 2022-23 season. Now you just mentioned there that you're going to be writing and covering about the Arizona Coyotes for this upcoming season. How did that opportunity come up for you? Uh, something basically things came up regarding my 
path with uh, my one of my fans. My fans had a website, uh, a winning habit. So I ultimately decided to take a break from that. I took a break from sports running in general for a couple of months, and fans I had an opening for the White Coyotes website. Not a whole lot of people have written for it in the past, so I thought it'd be an interesting team to cover, considering they're moving into a university arena, their expectations are at an all-time low, and I think they personally have a really interesting, young, talented roster that could definitely not be a good team this year, but they could surprise a few people. For for covering a brand new team like the Arizona Coyotes, given that you are a Montreal fan, like what is some stuff that you had to read up on or get basic knowledge on about the Coyotes heading into this position? Well, honestly, the like saying myself as like a Canadians writer, I'm not necessarily a Canadians fan. I'm a fan of every NHL team, and I definitely follow the Coyotes. Not super closely last year, but with the way Carol Vamelka played his absolute heart out for the team, even though they really struggled as a starting goaltender or like a impromptu starting goaltender, the way Nick Schmaltz had his point per game pace, the way Clayton Keller played so well, they had just had some really interesting pieces. And when I was kind of looking at what team I wanted to ultimately cover next, I was kind of debating between them and the Kraken because ultimately those are the teams that most people know the least about. So with all the new additions like Cody's have and how they're kind of really pushing for this, no expectations, this is an underdog team, I think there could be a lot of fun to watch to be honest no given you just mentioned the crack in there i gotta get your opinion on i believe it was sb nation or maybe a fan sided blog i think it was davy jones locker that's the one that covers the yep. Kraken. that is such a cool name <laughs> i gotta admit like of all like the bulls blogs that cover the nhl teams i gotta say that's probably gotta be one of the coolest names out there for, for me it's a pension plan puppets which is the least sb nation blog i still love that name and it's hilarious because the gentleman that covered the Toronto Maple Leafs in our previous segment is actually a writer for a pension. Oh, wow. That's so funny that you mentioned that. Now, Scott, for these season preview segments, we usually would take the time to discuss the previous season for our guests' team. However, as an Ottawa fan who watched his team go from one goal away from the Stanley Cup Finals to crashing and burning the next season, I feel that, honestly, I'm not going to go through that with you because I I cannot remember the last time I saw a team that crashed back down to earth so hard as the Montreal Canadiens did last season going from the Stanley Cup Finals to dead last in the NHL. However, there was a light at the end of the tunnel as Montreal would end up winning the draft lottery and decided to drop the bombshell with the number one pick selecting Yuri Slavikovsky over Shane Wright. In regards to the pick, did you have a preference on who Montreal would take? I find it kind of interesting with this past draft and how much of the lead up to the draft was built around Shane Wright being the number one overall pick. I think people were so mesmerized by his tenure early on with the Kingston Frontenacs, you know, being an exceptional status player, being named captain so young. People saw this kid as kind of a can't-miss player, and this has happened a couple of times in past NHL drafts, and I guess people weren't really expecting it this time, but as the months went on and as the draft buildup came closer and closer, other players came into the picture. Now, me personally, I wasn't following the prospect post super closely, so I wasn't super, super familiar with Slavkowski, but when the Habs did select him, I was surprised. I think a lot of people were definitely surprised, but looking at how Slavkowski has played so far in the rookie tournaments and just his intangibles and his size, I think, honestly, the Canadians made the right pick here, and I think for me personally, I think Shane Wright... As much as people will bring up the things about his work ethic and his mentality and how that might have ultimately affected both the Devils and the Coyotes passing on him, which are picks that I don't agree with quite as much, but that's a different story. I feel like Wright is honestly just better suited for Seattle. And I feel like with him and Matty Berniers, they're a much more better pair than he would have been in Montreal because at the moment, Nick Suzuki is a de facto number one center. And I don't think a player like Wright who's had so much buildup would be okay playing behind a kid like that for maybe the rest of his career. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I feel he went to a perfect situation in Seattle because when you look at Montreal jersey 
Arizona, you already have guys ahead of you, and how are mm-hmm. you exactly going to overthrow them, right? I personally saw that the Devils pick is more shocking because I had I was was incredibly unfamiliar with who that player was. Logan Cooley, I was a bit more aware of. Now, with Montreal hosting the NHL draft this past season and holding the number one pick, the Montreal Canadiens decided to also make a big splash via trade by acquiring Kirby Doc from Chicago. Despite a huge down season for him last year, high expectations will be placed upon Doc as he's now part of the young core with Suzuki and Caulfield. Overall, what was your thoughts on Montreal making that trade for Kirby Doc? I'm really, really happy with the Kirby Doc trade, to be honest. And I think he's a very interesting player to bring to Montreal and a guy who kind of made up for the fact that they didn't take a center like Wright. Now, going to what you said, uh, Taylor, about his time in Chicago and how he kind of had a bit of a downhill. In my own opinion, I'm going to try and throw Doc seasons in Chicago kind of to the wind. Obviously, there were parts of his game that were sort of, how to say, like negatives or noticeable downsides in his game, his immaturity, stuff like that. But the Blackhawks situation was such a massive dumpster fire, and it wasn't one that we were aware of how bad it was until it kind of all unraveled this past offseason. For all we know, for the past three years, Doc could have been playing in that same situation. They were just doing a much better job at hiding how bad things had actually gotten over than in Chicago. So in coming to Montreal, I feel like he has a really interesting chance here to prove himself as a true talented offensive player that he wasn't in Chicago because for his three years there, he just played rookie well. He didn't play well. He just played well according to his age and his inexperience. And while, well, what's funny is that uh, when I was, when we were talking about uh, the doc trade on the first episode of the podcast, somebody brought up the fact of how Suzuki is going to be the de facto first line center and if doc should be given that first line role. And I find it funny considering that Suzuki was 10 picks after doc in the same draft and kind of making that comparison there but for me personally i feel like doc needs to be given a chance to sort of grow in montreal system a bit and kind of understand how their game works particularly related to st louis and then maybe you could fit him into a larger role down the line but for now i still think suzuki is the de facto number one center but overall i think it was an absolutely solid trade by the canadians and we're bringing in a really exciting kid that unfortunately some people are just have knocked down as kind of a bust already just because he played in a really tough situation and an honestly horrible team environment you feel that maybe another reason why Montreal made that trade is because they can't live in a world where Ottawa showed them up at the draft with the Brickett trade? The Brickett trade was just the shock of all shocks for so many people. And honestly, you can't really, I don't think any team in the league could own up to making a trade like that because the Brinkett is a different kind of player. The Brinkett's a 50 goal potential guy who was electrifying on, again, a Blackhawks team that had noticeable issues that we weren't even aware of. But I feel like it wasn't so much uh, Kent Hughes and Jeff Gordon trying to one-up uh, Ottawa per se. I think it's just them more continuing to build upon their game plan of a full-on rebuild, which Mark Bergevin said was never really possible for the team. And now, now look what they're doing. Now look at all the players required. Now look at all the deep, promising young talent they have. So I feel like they're just trying to add more to that pipeline. And honestly, I'm all for it. Yeah, honestly, I like to think that that's one of the reasons they made that trade is because they saw Ottawa making the deal for DeBrink Gap. They're like, oh, the hell with that. We're not letting them show us up. Now, another big story involving the Montreal Canadiens this season will will ultimately come at the hiring of former Mantron, former Tampa Bay Lightning superstar Martin St. Louis as head coach following the dismissal of Dominic Ducharme. St. Louis' hiring was met with mostly negative reaction among hockey fans as he had never coached at any level. I believe the only exception, maybe he did a little peewee coaching. That's about it. However, the, the Suns teams a little bit, yeah. Yeah, however, the early on ice results were very positive as we saw with the Cole Caulfield and Nixon Suzuki finally getting their game going. In regards to this upcoming season, what expectations should fans have for Martin St. Louis as he enters his first year? 
full-time. I'm going to make a point uh, what we were talking about with last season for the Canadians. They kind of, kind of don't want to go, don't want to go, didn't want to go into it. The Canadians season last year can be separated into two halves, Dominic Ducharme and Marte Saint-Louis. Dominic Ducharme was a major, if not the main reason the Canadian season tanked the way it, it, it did, in my opinion. I feel like Ducharme was a huge part in why a lot of the Canadian players struggled because his system was just suffocating players who were used to playing in a more free-flowing offensive system. And when du- St. Louis was brought in, it showed. The Habs had a 14, I believe they had a 14-19 free record after St. Louis hiring, which, while still not fantastic, is much better than 8-30 and 8 that they were with Ducharme. And it's kind of the sense of like a bare 10-11 play team. Now, going into this season, St. Louis has more higher expectations. And I feel like he has, most importantly, more experience. And also he has the full support of Gordon and Hughes as sort of the guy who will be leading this youthful team into the maybe into the playoffs, you know, going forward in with the rebuild in the next few years. Now, one of the things that I really loved about St. Louis last season was the fact that the Habs just seemed to play with no care or no worries. They didn't really play with that idea of making mistakes or being benched because you didn't cover this guy or you didn't make the right play here, which was so much of what Ducharme's system was built around because he was a junior coach. And watching them come back from being down a goal against the Flyers, scoring shorthanded, then scoring the winner in overtime, that's the kind of stuff that Canadians fans want to see going into this season. And I feel like we're just going to keep seeing it with St. Louis. The main point I want to make about him as a coach that's really important, I find, for any player on the Canadiens is that if there's any player who has seen everything you can see in an NHL career, it's Martin St. Louis. He was an undrafted forward. He knows what it's like to play in the IHL. He knows what it's like to play in the AHL. He knows what it's like to be cut. He knows what it's like to play a defensive role. And then he knows what it's like to be a superstar. He knows what it's like to win the Art Ross Trophy. He knows what it's like to lead a team into the playoffs and to the Stanley Cup. So for a coach to have that many different experiences at the NHL level, even if he doesn't necessarily have head coaching experience, for what the Canes are trying to do with their youth movement, I think St. Louis is the absolutely perfect coach for that team. I was going to say, as, as Montreal entered the new era of hockey, you, know, you see with the new regime that they have there with Gordon Hughes and Martin St. Louis, what kind of confidence do you have in this new regime, given that the previous ones seem to not really make much of a difference? I'm just more so happy to see Gordon and Hughes kind of doing things that Mark Bergevin had rather than do gone to press conferences and say, well, maybe I, maybe I'll do this. Maybe I, maybe I won't. I don't know if I can do this. Like getting a center. He's like, it's very difficult to get a center and then look what they did with Kirby Doc. So it's been nice to see kind of Gordon and Hughes make good on things that Habs fans were so frustrated to see Bergevin pass on time and time and time again. And I feel like as we go into the season with a lot of reflection on the past of the Canadians and the past with Bergevin's time there and kind of Jonathan Drain going into a contract here with Mikhail Sergachev having just signed that massive extension in Tampa Bay, having the sort of GM, uh, assistant GM and GM tandem like Gordon and Hughes going into a, what's going to be a very long rebuild most likely, I think it's just good in general for the atmosphere of the team and for making fans kind of have a sigh of relief and let them breathe a little bit rather than with Bergevin where it felt like they were always on the edge of their seats because they never knew what he was actually going to do. As Montreal enters this new era, of course, they're going to have a brand new captain in Nick Suzuki. And much has been made regarding the news and much has been made regarding this move. I would love to get your take on what you think about Nick Suzuki becoming the new Habs. I feel like the main thing a lot of people brought up when Suzuki was named captain was obviously Gallagher. And I feel like whether he was ultimately deserving of the captaincy after being passed over for Weber previously. And I actually talked about this uh, at length in the first episode of my podcast previously, but um, 
I feel like personally, I think Suzuki is the perfect choice to be the captain of the Canadians. And I feel like it's, again, a commitment from Gordon and Hughes and St. Louis towards the youth. Something, again, Mark Bridgeman seemed very hesitant to act upon in his time as GM. And going back to what I said about Gallagher, I feel like the main thing that come that came of Gallagher being named captain is that after the past two seasons Gallagher has had, it'd be in a similar situation to when the Florida Panthers named Derek McKenzie their captain or when the Devils named Andy Green their captain. I love Derek McKenzie. I love Andy Green. And they're really good locker room presences. And they're such great veteran guys. And they just bring so much to that team. But one thing they don't bring is their play. Their play isn't the thing that makes them a good captain. But on a team like Montreal, where there's so much is going to be expectations going to be put on how they play this upcoming season, I feel like they want their captain to be the guy who's leading the team offensively and not just in the locker room. And I feel like if they wouldn't have named the guy like Gallagher captain, he would have been that leader in the locker room not so much in the ice obviously there's been some remarks made about how healthy Gallagher is now and he could have a much better season but for the time and for the commitment that has made to Suzuki with that massive contract and how well he's played with Caulfield and how much of like a center of this team he's become even going back to their Stanley Cup finals run and the relationship he had with Corey Perry the relationship he had with so many of the veteran guys on the team I feel like he has just basically cemented himself as the de facto choice for the captain and I am very happy to see him be named captain like, what do you make about these people on social media who say that the Montreal Canadiens kind of made a mistake naming Suzuki captain, not because he isn't perfect cap material, but because of his age? Again, it's just pointing towards the fact that the Habs are completely building themselves upon youth right now. The main thing that this team is built around, the main thing this team is trying to hype the fans up for is their youth. Because I feel like while the Canadians won't be good this year, they'll be fun to watch because they're such a young, fast, talented team. And if these guys can really figure things out offensively and start to play as they had towards the end of last season, I feel like they'll just be such a nice offensive team that can really make you sort of jump out of your seat every now and again. And while Suzuki's age is obviously a factor in determining how a guy can lead a team off the ice, he was the most consistent player for the Habs last year in a year where the one thing the Habs seemingly could never find was consistency. No matter how hard they tried, no matter where they looked, no matter what lineups they ran. And for Suzuki to play 80, 82 games in a season like that where COVID just wiped the team and they had so many injuries. And at one point they had Brandon Baddock and Cameron Hillis into the lineup because that makes sense. But now the fact is since Suzuki had such a great season, he played so consistently and he was just such a big part of what was such a dreadful season for the Canadians, I feel like not only is it pointing towards that youth movement, it's almost just as a sense of rewarding Suzuki for the dedication he's given to this team through what honestly has not been an easy time for them. It's funny, like through this segment, like we've talked about how this upcoming season is going to be a very significant one for the Montreal Canadiens for a number of reasons. However, it will be the first one since 2006-07 that won't feature Carey Price as their starting goaltender as he is officially put on LTIR. With him going on LTIR, it's a, it honestly is a shame that this is the way his career ends, given everything he's meant to the Montreal Canadiens. With that being said, do you think that we've seen the last of Carey Price in Montreal? Yes, I think we've seen the last of Carey Price in Montreal, and I feel like if he did come back, it would be a disservice to everything he's done in his career up to this point. When I watched, or when we, or when every any Habs fan watched him play last year towards the end of the year, great story, that wasn't Carey Price we were watching. It was a shell of Carey Price. It was a different kind of goalie. And it was a goalie who obviously was rusty and a goalie who obviously has, is struggling to readapt to the NHL after all the injuries he suffered through. So if I was Carey Price, I wouldn't 
I would kind of take the approach that PK Subban has taken with his retirement, which is a lot of people will see Subban as a what if situation of the fact that he retired kind of before he retired after a couple of years where it was clear that he wasn't the same player he once was. And he never really got to show that he could be that player consistently, but with everything price did for the Canadians and how he for a brief time established himself as the best goalie in the NHL bar none when he wrote his master's thesis in that 2014, 15 season, I feel like he should just leave it at that and just say, I had a good career. I had my chances. That run was fantastic. Does it sound like a final? Let's just leave things here because price has so much to fall back on in his life outside of hockey that I feel like, yeah, I feel like it's, about time that Price just calls it a career and leaves his mark as one of the greatest goalies in Canadian history. If Kerry Price ended up retiring tomorrow, ultimately people could argue whether he's the greatest have goalie of all time, but is it a safe lock to say that he's the best of the generation? Yes, I have, I feel like the point we, I feel like we have to say honestly that he was the best of the, of this generation because he's the one who had the largest sample size and the one who was the best goalie for a very long period of time, which most most of the other goalies who came before him just weren't really because if you look at the, who the Habs goalies have been in the past, there was guys like Jose Fedor, there was guys like Yaroslav Halak, and if you even want to throw it in, you can throw in Justin Thibault going back to the late 90s. But with Fedor and Halak and even Cristobal Huey, were they great here in Montreal? Yes, they were fantastic. And Jose Fedor, most people forget about his heart trophy winning season where he literally put a not that great Canadian team on his back and led them past the Boston Bruins. But none of them played long enough in Montreal for their their career longevity in the city to kind of impact how they're viewed as the best goalie of all time. They were viewed as the best goalie for a couple of years and then they left. Price was here for his entire career. And I think the impact he left on the city and its fans makes him the best goalie of this generation. Yeah. So is it safe to say that one day we're going to see the number 31 in the Raptors of Bell Center? I would put Carey Price's numbers in the in the Raptors, and that's coming from a person who at times hasn't really been the biggest supporter of Price, especially through his inconsistencies and his at times not that great performance where fans kept praising him, even as it was clear he was struggling. But for it's the same sense as why I think the Habs should retire Saku Koivu's number, which again is a lot of thing that a lot of people will have their opinions on, but he was the de facto the, the de facto marquee player for the Habs in a time where the team wasn't really built on star players. It was built on depth and it was built on an overall balanced offense. And to have a guy stand out like that says a lot about how talented Carey Price once was. Now, another guy that you mentioned there was P.K. Subban. And I know that news broke the other day about his retirement, but also news broke that the Montreal Canadiens said no to bringing him back. Do you think Montreal made the right decision? Ultimately, yes. As much as I would have loved to see P.K., come back to Montreal and get the chance of PK, PK at the Bell Center. PK Subban is not the player he once was when he was in Montreal or even Nashville for that matter. Now, will we ever know why he ultimately degraded as quickly as he did? No, I don't think we'll ever truly know the answer to that question unless PK himself delves into it. But I feel like at the point he was at in his career and after the stint he had in New Jersey, it's just, even if he did come to a really great contending team like Toronto or Montreal, it would just make it even more aware of how much PK isn't the player that he once was. So I feel like he should just, I feel like it's best that he leaves things where he's at because again, much like Price for a brief time, uh, PK Subban was one of the better, if not one of the best defensemen in the NHL. You mean, you look at the defenseman who can put up a 60 point season the way he did so consistently. It doesn't really exist anymore. So, Scott, I really appreciate you taking time out of your schedule to join me for this segment. Now, before we head off into our next segment, first of all, where can our listeners find you on social media and where can they find your podcast and Puck Pros? 
So at the moment, I am posting occasionally on Twitter at 9SecondsOT, that is my handle, but most of my work is currently posting on my Instagram at Deleted Designs, where I post my artwork and animations and things like that. You can also find me writing for Puck Pros and uh, Howling Hockey upcoming this year. You can find those links in my Twitter bio. And of course, I will be a contributor on Puck and Roll Podcast, which just kicked off a second season, at Puck and Roll on Twitter. So you can find me there. And the last thing I got to ask before we head off is we're asking everybody this final question. How do you see the Montreal Canadiens finishing the 2022-23 season in the division? The Canadians will not be a playoff team, but if you're thinking conference standings, I see the Habs being a 10th or 11th place team who will be in the fight for a little while and then slowly phase out. Okay. Now within the division, like where do you see them? Do you see them maybe six, seven around there? I see them more as fourth fifth leaning towards six really eh? i see i see if the Habs are as fun to watch and are as exciting as i think they can be they could surprise some people i think absolutely Representing your Ottawa Senators is the is a podcast producer for the Carleton University Ravens, as well as the co-host of the Zoopcast. Please welcome to the show, Adam Copeland. Adam, how's it going? Welcome to the show. I'm doing well, guys. Thanks so much for having me on. Zoom. <laughs> I was hoping. I was hoping for that. That's great. I love it. Yeah. Now, Adam, before we go into any of our questions and what I'm going to talk about, I do got to ask: Did you happen to see that fan last night at the Leafs game? They got Zoob stick. I did. I did see this. I, I was scrolling Twitter late last night. I just got home from work. I was trying to catch up. I didn't I didn't see a lot of the game. But I saw that some guy got Zoob stick. I'm like, no way. <laughs> That's awesome. We got it. We got to get in contact and have that guy on the, on the Zoob cast. That'll be a great guess. Absolutely. Because I mean, he posted a picture of the stick and he's just like, man, is it me or is Zoob's curve really weird? Because it's almost like those weird like that it almost looks like a three wood yeah and i'm looking at it i'm like no that's this curve right here and i sent him a picture <laughs> and it was lining up pretty well <laughs> now adam one of the things i love doing with the show whenever we get opportunities like this is to take a few minutes to get to know our guests a little bit better one of the big things i always love hearing about whenever we get a chance to work with somebody who's also a fan of the team that we cheer for i gotta ask the question how did you become a fan of the ottawa senators that is a good question. I, I, it's tough because I think I, I grew up in a house where my dad was a very big Sens fan and he was kind of right. You know, I was growing up and becoming like, you know, like sentient, like right around the time where that, <laughs> that uh, 2007 cup run was going on. And it was just crazy. I don't, I don't remember a lot from it, but my dad would stay up for every game. And sometimes you'd have me <laughs> way past my bedtime, kind of trying to watch some of those games. And it was really cool. There was a real buzz in the, in the city going on. And, and from there, it was kind of like, oh, this team's pretty good. Like, let's get in on this and, and try to join on for the ride. And obviously, the next few years after that weren't the greatest time yeah. to be a Sense fan. But, no, you know, it's... it's yeah. Um, but you know, it, it's, it was cool. Like growing up with, with, you know, the back end of, of Alfie's career and, and seeing, you know, that the first player that I really would say, uh, you know, got me truly into the sense and someone I was able to grow up with is, is Eric Carlson. Um, cause that was right around the time where I was 
really getting into it and, and trying to, you know, watch more and get into it more and learn more. And, and he was just so good. Like he was, I just remember watching him and, and in awe of what this kid was doing. And I, I remember like when he got injured with the Matt Cook play, I was like devastated. That was like the first time I'd seen like a star player that I loved get injured. I was like, I didn't know this could happen. I was like, I thought these guys were like superheroes. They just didn't get hurt. And it was, oh, it was, it was crazy. But growing up with the back end of Alfie and, and seeing, you know, Carlson kind of following his whole Ottawa career arc um, was really cool. And then obviously it was very sad. I was very sad as were many people when he got traded. Um, but I feel like with this new uh, iteration of the Sens, I'm the most engaged that I've ever been because I feel like I can really say that I've started to follow them right from the beginning of the rebuild, um, which was right after the, you know, obviously they lost in the Eastern Conference final. And I can say that I've been there from the beginning, which is really cool. Um, so I'd say the Sens fandom started in 07 and, you know, guys like Alfie and Carlson kind of carried me into the current state of the team and, and I'm hooked, hooked for life. Very much so. And I mean, I know for Tim and I, like we became fans right before the cup run in 2005. So we got to see the cup runs. We got to see all the playoff struggles after we was, but I have to say though, like with the, the way that the senators are rebuilt today, it's, very engaging and the players are so personable and the fans really, really love those guys. And I, I totally would agree with you. Like this is definitely one of the been you get, I think you see that a lot with the fans is that this is easily the most engaged that they're getting with the fan base. Because again, when you have Brady being Brady, you have Tim Stutzla coming out of nowhere through the Carlson trade and all the pieces coming together. It's, it's just so good to have optimism back in Ottawa. It really is. It's, it's really cool. We had, um, it's funny you bring that up. We had, uh, Matt, Matt Bosty on our podcast the other day. Yes. Yeah, <laughs> he's, he's great. He was a great guest. Very funny. <laughs> and he was talking about the same kind of thing. He's like, this version of the sends is so different than past versions. Like it's so inclusive and it's so fun and, and everyone seems to get along and everyone can get on board. And, and I think a shout out, uh, has been earned by the sends social media team because they have been instrumental in how uh, the team has been marketed lately and they're really taking advantage of the fact that there's a team and the, like the on ice product is worth watching <laughs> you know finally for you know it's, it feels like it's been years and they're you know really ramping up content and they're going to Carlton and Ottawa U to get you know students involved and they're going to the pride parade and their street team is everywhere and it's great and I think that's what's really good about the sense is, is everyone realizes that they're going to be good and that it's exciting and the city can finally, you know, be happy that they have a team. And I think that's what makes this whole thing really exciting. Well, the other thing is, is it's a two way street too, because they participate in our bullshit. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> exactly. Like it's like the whole, like the sends and session stuff. Like that's awesome. Like that they made like shirts for them, like zoo. That's so easy. You just Gulk. go on the zoo train. Yeah, it's great. I, I think the... that awesome. Yeah. Called sensing. Yeah. It's like, it's Gulk's funny. Like it's a, he's a made up guy. It doesn't exist. Some guy like Frank Senators just tweets out Gulk and the Sens are putting out a post about him like a day later. It's, it's, I think it's fantastic. I think yeah. they've done a great job. Yeah. I'd like to know who really runs their social media account. It must be one of Sens, somebody from Sens Twitter. It has yeah, to be with some of the point, content they're putting out. Yeah. What if it's actually just Bosty? <laughs> I wouldn't put it past him, man. Who knows? <laughs> that would be a great plot twist if it was. Yeah. He just reveals himself. It's like, 
Oh my god! Actually, I'm just gonna tweet that out right now at Senators hire Matt Bosty. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, any any Bosty tweets usually does numbers on Twitter. It's a good way to get your engagement stuff. <laughs> Yeah. The only gripe I have with Bosti is that when I was in the UK this summer, he filled in as a co-host for the show and he mushed up the ass groove in my, in my seating chair. Oh no, <laughs> Son of a bitch, but it's okay. It's okay. Now, another thing I love getting to do with this show is talking to our guests about how they came to write for said blog or with their own podcast. As mentioned, you are the co-host of the Zoobcast, which you host alongside Josh Glazer and Louis Boulogne. Did I say that correct? Boulay. Boule. Okay. Sorry, Louis. <laughs> <laughs> so in saying that, I would love to hear from you. How did you guys come to become a podcast? Uh, that's a kind of a funny story. It was Louis and I were sitting. This was, I believe, I, it must have been in like, it was one of the late games in, in the, uh, the COVID season there, the 2021 year. And when the team was, they were finally starting to win, but they were just awful that year. They were just so bad. And we were sitting there and they were getting blown out of some game. We were sitting with our other, our other friend, Noah, and me and Louie are just like going back and forth. And we're just like saying all this stupid shit. And Noah's like, you guys could totally do a podcast. Like he's like, you guys could just like say this like online. And I bet people would love it. We're like, okay. <laughs> and so we just thought we'd try it. And we, you know, we phoned up our, our buddy, Josh, who's, who's smart and insightful and he knows his stats. And Louie is so good. Like Louie's, I'm, I, he's like he him and josh do all the work i won't lie like i kind of just go in there and i feed them the easy questions and then they go and say all their smart stuff but that's kind of how it came about we were just watching and we were like oh, we want to talk about this and put it online like why not it's it's so fun like we that was kind of when we started it is is we were like you know it, and it, it's good like in a sense because i obviously i'm also the broadcast producer at carlton and sports media is something that I'd like to get into and I'm very interested in and, and it's fun. I find it fun. And so when I can do something like this podcast where it's just me and, and my friends talking about the sense and it goes online and people watch it, like, how cool is that? <laughs> like, that's just fun. And, and we're having a blast with it. Like we don't take it seriously. We do, you know, we, we try and we put effort in, but it's like, we're just three dudes talking about hockey. And I think that's kind of how we wanted it to go. Um, and we've been going for a year strong now and, and people have been tuning in and following and we've got listeners in a bunch of different places and it's been really cool to see it grow. Um, but it all started with just Louie and I watching a terrible Sens game <laughs> and <laughs> thinking that that was going to be our, our vault into the podcast world. So it's been cool to see it grow. You know, it's interesting, like even with us, I mean, we started their podcast right after that SEP 2017 run and we thought, oh yeah, it's going to be so good. We're going to have lots to talk about. <laughs> We're going to have and good then... hockey. Just yeah. Went, yeah. <laughs> May we live in interesting times is a classic Chinese curse. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I look back at some of those episodes, those early episodes we did and we're like, oh, you know, it's just a bump in the road. It's still good. It's still good. And then what the yeah. like I'm as bad, the I mean, season goes on it's like oh no oh no oh, no. oh it must have been tough as as podcast guys i bet you weren't the only ones too i bet a lot of people saw that 2017 run. they're like let's get on the bandwagon here let's go all in on the sends and then just soul crushing <laughs> the next few years we kind of have to wait well, I look back on that. I mean, at the time when we started up and i'm not trying to toot our own home but there really wasn't many of us it was basically sends call-ups I think Locked on Sens were already doing their stuff. Internal, um, not internal budget, it would have been um, cost per point. Cast. Cast. It was like a handful yeah. of podcasts. 
and then we just sort of showed up. And then after that, it was like you saw every show that came yeah. after us. Well, there was like a bunch of ones that like Zuka. disappeared too. Like you had like welcome to your Carlson years just kind of fell off the place face of the earth. Bonk Smollett just became a Twitter account. <laughs> yeah, it's weird how the landscape has changed since then. And then a lot of yeah. there's been a lot of new podcasts that have come up like us uh, recently, kind of jumping on the bandwagon a bit near the end. Um, which is a bit, it's a bit strange because you're going into a market that, you know, already has so many good podcasts that are like doing a great job. And, and you're, it's weird. It's, it's weird to say that you're like competing with them. We don't think of it that way. Like we're not competing with anyone. Um, but it is like the same demographic and the same thing. And you're like, how do we make this a bit different than everyone else? Right. To make it stand out and make it fun and make it unique. Um, but it's, I think it's really great that there's so many sense podcasts that are run by fans. Like it shows like, I got a lot of, you know, people from other places that are like, oh, like Ottawa's, you know, they don't have a lot of people there. Their market's not great. I'm like, look at the Sens podcast industry. Like, look at, look at Twitter. Like people love the Sens. And I think that's, what's really cool about this. Like so many people starting podcasts and blogs and even just getting on Twitter to be part of the Sens Twitter community. Like it's, it's great. I think the Sens fan base is in a really healthy spot right now. And I think all the podcasts kind of show it. Yeah, well, one thing I do want to talk about the Zoopcast, and you mentioned that you guys are now on TikTok. So talk to us a little bit about how that happened. What Did you just happen to see that there was a lack of Sense content on TikTok? I, I guess you could say so. It's it's funny. We have a friend. Um, he's he's actually a Sabres fan. He's a Sabres and, and Bills fan, but he's still our friend. He's on, on Twitter at, uh, at, I believe it's at 23Sabres or underscore 23Sabres. Um, and he is a fantastic video editor. He's so talented. And he's interested in, in getting into that industry as well. And so we kind of struck a deal. We're like, okay, Aaron, like run the, run the Zoobcast Twitter and it's your portfolio pretty much. Um, and so he's been great. He, he, we will send him clips from the show. And, and it's to your point, we didn't see a lot of sense content on TikTok. I, it's not really there like it is on Twitter. So that's an opportunity to kind of jump into the market a bit. And it's been doing really well. Um, we've been getting a lot of engagements and, and people like the videos and there's comments and it's cool. And it's, it's a different, it's different than doing a podcast because that's just, you talk and then you edit it a little bit and you put it online. But this is like, you know, it's, it's a, it's a video. You got to get pictures and clips and, and put the text on there. It's, it's very different, but it's a really cool kind of venture to try out because it's so, you have so much creative freedom with TikTok and you can really kind of do whatever you want a little bit. Um, And so we've been, you know, experimenting and trying stuff though, but we're really happy with, uh, with how it's been going. And um, yeah, it's definitely, you know, not a lot of, like I said, not a lot of sense content. So it's an opportunity to kind of bring it to a different platform. So let's talk about last year's Ottawa Senators because last season saw Ottawa miss the playoffs for the fifth straight season, finishing 33, 42 and seven. Their season was mirrored with the COVID season of 2021 as a massive losing streak in November completely sunk their season. However, this season really was, different because though we didn't have the eye on ice success we had success with the players you saw the young core really really coming up big josh norris at 35 goals stutzla emerged as a legit superstar brady led the team in scoring following being named captain overall like what was your thoughts on last year's ottawa senators uh i'd say the way that i describe last year's sends is fun and sad because the sends like you said right from the beginning of the season just gave themselves no chance to be successful. Like you start that bad and it's just, it's over. The season was over by November, which is sad. Like that sucks. And it's especially coming in. There was, I don't want to say there was high expectations, 
but there was like a bit of excitement <laughs> in a way like you got another like here comes Stutzla like you know here comes Josh Norris and here comes Brady Kachuk and here comes Batherson and and you're like oh maybe we get a, a good year for Murray here like there was a bit <laughs> of a you know what I mean <laughs> yeah exactly um but there was some cautious cautious optimism and it was just completely obliterated in the first month and a half of the season uh, but like you said we had some redeeming storylines with you know Brady Kachuk scored 30 goals like that's pretty cool and Josh Norris was a power play machine and Tim Stutzla you could like see it in real time how he was getting better um and I think the thing about last year is it was just you know once people realized that it was you know no playoffs like no no it wasn't going to be competitive season was over this is what I love about the sense communities everyone just had fun like it was you know whenever there was a fun moment like the stuff with the halves like the the, the Stutzla Gallagher stuff like milk that <laughs> you know what i mean and like get content out of that and, and the godette i'll always remember the, the godette game where he got the shootout winner against his old team to like knock him out was the there playoff. a great game to go to i was i, I was hilarious like adam godette is sinking his old team's playoff hopes like what are the friggin' odds of that that's <laughs> it's, it was it was fun and it's like the thing about when your team is bad is the wins are good like the wins seem kind of better because you know they're few and far between and the thing about the Sens is they often happened in ridiculous ways. They, I remember the one game last year, they played Carolina. They got, I, but the shots must have been like 54 to 13. It was, this was a December game, I think. And, oh, this stupid game. Yeah. And Anton Forsberg was like was ridiculous. He was insane. That, that was like the Anton Forsberg coming out game a little bit. Like he was, and he's just like, come on, really, you guys? <laughs> yeah. They're, they're just getting no help. And they won. They won like 2 1. Like, it, was, it was absurd. I'll give you the win, but yeah, honestly, it was just, there was those kind of games, right? Where it's like, you're watching it and you're almost like laughing the whole time. It's like, how is this, how is this happening? Like this team is hilarious. And I think that's, it's genuinely like, it sounds stupid, but it's important to have those moments in that year because it's so doom and gloom. Like I remember they lost like six, nothing to the Leafs in January after they came back from their COVID break. And you're like, Oh geez, what a, that sucks. That's a rival team. Like, you didn't even score. It wasn't even close. Those games suck. But then you have the games like the Carolina game where you just somehow win. It's inexplicable. And the Godette game and the, the games against the, Like when Kastelik scored and fought Michael Pizzetta against the Haas, like immediately after. That was hilarious. Like that was great. I, I think, you know, to sum up last season is, yeah, it's a rebuilding year and it sucks because you lose. But the fans make it fun. And, you know, the you win a few games here and there and it's hilarious. And I, I think... That's kind of what got us through, and now we're really excited um, to see what the Sens can do with a much better, improved team this year. And it's funny because it goes back to what we've said on the show about Sens Twitter. We always talk about how it's very much like a, almost like a four-letter word of how toxic it can be at times, but the fans always have fun. Two things I do want to bring up. The number one, the Adam Gaudet game. I do remember when <laughs> I was in Vancouver for that game, there was somebody sitting behind us, and he was just sitting there, and he goes, oh, Adam Gaudet. He's probably going to score the winner. Then he scored. He goes, <laughs> oh, he scored the winner. Oh, well. <laughs> oh man. hey, at least that guy can, he can be like, you know what? I called the end of our season. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. That's a great game to go to. Not maybe not as a connection, but that's the other one you didn't mention, though, was the senators ruining Spencer Knight's career in that eight <laughs> loss. Against, yeah. Against Florida. <laughs> oh, that yeah. Was... Like Ottawa looked like a fucking machine. Somehow. They did. It, it was crazy. I don't get that game. That was, I will always remember that game as Dylan Gambrell's first ever goal as a senator um, 
in that game, I believe. He scored one of the eight goals, which is hilarious. But that it's like, but that's what I mean, right? Like, it's like, how do they do that? Like, how did you score eight friggin' goals against? Didn't they win the Presence Trophy, Florida? That was, yeah, they did. Oh my god, come on, it was insane. Well, it's like the same thing as freaking uh, Zach Sanford gets a hat trick against yeah. the eventual Stanley Cup winner, <laughs> and then Ottawa finds a way to lose the game. Yeah, oh, that game, that game was on drugs. That was like a like a seven <laughs> six. The game I was at, so there was one game I was at. It was against Colorado at home, and that so Colorado was had Jonas Johansson in that. Oh, was <laughs> awful. There was a there's a very famous sent like hockey Twitter tweet. It was a Sabres writer. I forget his name, but when Jonas Johansson got traded from the Sabres to the Avalanche, he tweeted like the Avalanche are getting the worst goalie I've ever seen in my entire life at the NHL level, and everyone was like laughing at it. And the, he plays against the Sens. He's the starter. He gets like lit up for like six or seven goals and they well it was like a, it was like seven six overtime game for the sense yeah. both the sense games against the like you said the stanley cup champions drugs they were both ridiculous and that's <laughs> like that's what i mean though like that's that's why the season is good and that's why it's fun and and brady got a he scored the winner and he did like the little belts celly when he's going up the ice i don't know it there was there were fun times last season as bad as it was oh, it's so true it's so true now <laughs> I don't want to be all doom and gloom here, but the biggest story regarding the season, <clears throat> excuse me, the biggest off ice story regarding the Ottawa Senators last season, without question, was the passing of Eugene Melnick back in March, which left ownership to Eugene's daughters, Olivia and Anna. However, following this passing, a new dawn emerged for the team and the fan base, which can perfectly be summed up in three words Hot Pierre Summer. Yes. The Debrinket trade, go. Cam Talbot, Claude Giroux. Overall, God, wasn't hot Pierce summer just so great? Oh, it was it was so hot, guys. It was awesome. It was and and the I think and the apparently cool, he was like inches off Uyghur too. Yeah, I wouldn't be freaking surprised. He still get chicken in the next couple of days. Like <laughs> freaking knows. Um, the cool thing about the hot Pierce summer is I feel really, I feel really good for Pierre Dorian because he has been sometimes you know warranted but he's been given a lot of shit in the last few years about stuff that he's done and and you know like i said some of them were just some of it was just bad moves and we don't know you know how those came about or whose you know decisions they really were but he came into this summer uh you know seeing where his team was at and he's like we need to get going here like we need to start making some real tangible moves and getting better and he went out and got to rink it for nothing like are you kidding me that's crazy like pierre pierre dorian and and people were freaking out when i remember like as this trade was happening frank saravelli's like to bring it to ottawa and he didn't say that you know what was going back and we're like oh geez pierre like what did you do like how bad did you you know screw this up and you see the returns three picks and you're like oh my god dorian fuck dorian dorian fleece when has that ever happened when have we ever been able to say dorian fleece and then you know the cam talbot trade is it a fleece i don't know probably not you're getting, he was an all-star last year, can't help it. You got an all-star goalie for a guy, Philip Gustafson, who, you know, it kind of seemed like he was getting, people were passing him in the goalie depth chart a little bit. You had Sogard coming up, who they really like. Um, and you got, you know, Marilyn, and who's still in, in junior there. But, uh, you, you know, Talbot, you got a nice one-two now with him and Forsberg, which, you, you know, we were talking about this with Bosti also, is, is that seems like the new model of how, goaltending should look like in the nhl it's you know we're kind of moving past the era of the starter backup uh, a little bit and you're seeing that more and more i think I, I, boss used the words forward thinking by sens management i agree 100 
Um, I'm totally on board with that. You have to bring it. Claude Giroux, come on. Kids, kids coming home, right? Like that's, it's so cool. And, and people knew it for weeks. They were like, oh, Giroux's a send. And no one even batted an eye. Like, you're like, we know he's coming. Like, we know he's going to sign. <laughs> and then, they, then he actually got signed. Everyone was like freaking out. It was crazy. I think it's so good. I think Hot Pierre Summer was so good uh, for Pierre Dorian to kind of build his reputation back up a little bit and, and save himself some, some jeers from the crowd. And, and you know what? It, it really jolted the market. Like, it's people are, people are in now. I, I've talked to so many people around Ottawa who, wouldn't have been interested in the last five years of the Ottawa Senators. And they're like, oh, I'll go to games this year. I, I will go to games this year because of what they've done with the team. And that's great. Like the fact that they're able to take that step um, and attract people with an on ice product. Like when's the last time they've been able to do that? It's I, I've never, I've never, <clears throat> excuse me. I, I don't remember a time where the Ottawa Senators fan base has been this excited for a season. Yeah. And I think that's the biggest thing that has come out of hot Pierre summer is he's, he's, and at the end of the day, you know, you need a results eventually. And, you know, that'll come. I'm sure it will. Uh, but you know what? Hats off, hot Pierre Summer. He did a great job. And I'm I'm freaking excited, man. I'm ready to go. Yeah. And, of course, he was able to throw – and he continued to by throwing money at the existing core. He signed Josh Norris, that big extension. He had the biggest mic drop ever with the Tim Stutzla. <laughs> yeah. Who saw that one coming? That was crazy. Yeah, no, that was, was unreal. Sitting here going like, oh, God, we're going to drag this out, aren't we? We're going <laughs> to paying him nine mil. Nope. Yeah, nope. that was that was really good. Honestly, and, and the cool thing about that is is I believe that was during when they had the uh, the Sens Twitter influencers there in, in-house. What they were like, yeah, they had the five. For them to be there and like see that like that's awesome for the sense to be like, we want our fans to witness this piece of like history uh, in person. I think, I thought that was really cool. <laughs> yeah. My job. <laughs> it's so funny. Cause you know, Pierre, Pierre Dorian has, has said a lot of goofy things on, you know, interviews, you know, like we're a team, like, okay. <laughs> like that was, you know, stuff like that. And, and for him to come up and, and it, it was like, it was goofy. Let's be honest. Like he's like going, he's looking over at Tim's like, Hey Tim, <laughs> How, how about eight more years? Like it's, it's a little, it was a little awkward, but it was so like Pierre it was so good. He was like so excited to do it. Um, I, I, he's having a great, I, I think he's, he's having a good summer and I think he's having fun with it. And I think that's good for everyone. And that contract. Oh my God. Oh, Tim. Yeah. Let's do it. Yeah. And being able to get rid of Matt Murray on top of that. Oh, the, oh, okay. So listen, I need to talk about the Leafs for a sec here. Because Come on, we already talked about them. <laughs> no, no. So okay, but boys, how is this going to affect the league? <laughs> yeah, literally. But but okay. But here's what I don't. I, I genuinely don't understand. I don't care. Leafs fans can keep explaining it to me. And I I still won't understand it. Your team finished so much higher than our team last year, and you looked at our team, and you looked at all of our worst players, and you said, Victor Mete, Adam Gaudet, and Matt Murray. I would like them on my team. <laughs> like, what? <laughs> Why? What are you talking about? Kyle Dubas is an inside agent. He is a Sens fan. Everyone knows this. He's in Brian Five or Six's mentions constantly. He wants to be the Sens GM so bad. He is sabotaging his own team. I think he's going to trade for Zaitsev this year, Dubas, seal the deal, and then come on over to the dark side. But, oh my God. I mean, who knows? Oh, but he, I, could yeah. be, uh, he could be Pierre's AGM. <laughs> yeah exactly. yeah pierre's running the show he's not taking pierre's spot pierre's running the show but uh, uh but yeah i mean it's it's just funny to see 
I, I mean, you know, the Leafs are still, they'll be gross this year. Like, let's not kid ourselves. They're, they'll be disgusting. No, they're good. But, yeah, they're, they're really good. <laughs> but they'll, uh, it's, it's funny to see them, like, take our bad players. Like, like why are you doing that? It's, I'm sorry. Florida is even funnier. Yeah. Yeah. Chris Tierney. They got Chris Tierney on a two way. He shouldn't be playing in any professional league. And Michael Delzato. Yeah. He can yeah, sell so you a house can, there. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> That's great. It's, 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 uh, I call it white. Yeah. Well, call it white. A team should have taken a guess, a gamble on yeah, him on 100%. that sort of contract. That was a good sign. Yeah, and and he's you know there was a, they posted a tweet the other day, Florida. They're like, it was a picture of Colin White, and he was it was a quote. He's like, I'm having fun at the rink, and that's good for Colin White because he had a bit of a tough go here yeah. with injuries and get slotting down in the lineup. I I genuinely do like he's an easy guy to cheer for, Colin yeah. White. I I hope for the best for him, but I I personally can't say the same about Chris Tierney and Michael Delzato down there. I, I couldn't <laughs> be bothered what they do. Yeah, well, even with tyranny, I mean, it was so obvious he didn't want to be in Ottawa. And oh, even yeah. on like Bobby Ryan was on the Wally Mathox show and he said the exact same thing. He says, Yeah, tyranny was like, I don't want to fucking be here, and the team yeah. doesn't want me to be here. So why am I here? Uh, yeah, I mean, I don't I don't blame him. <laughs> I, I I don't think I would have wanted to be in Ottawa as a non-core player the last couple of years. Doesn't seem incredible. Well, imagine like you're living in like San Bert- Bernardino Valley. Yeah. <laughs> And then you are packaged up as an afterthought to the freaking Ottawa Senators. I know. So you have to live in goddamn, like, I used to live in Ottawa. I like the city. Yeah. But imagine moving from, like, San Jose, the Bay Area, <laughs> yeah. to Ottawa. I, I know exactly what you mean. I live I live in Ottawa. I love, I love Ottawa. It's a, a beautiful city. And, but, I mean, like, yeah, <laughs> if you're coming from there. It's a, it is it's objectively a downgrade, and that kind of sucks. And it's not only a downgrade for the city, but you're going from San Jose, who were really good when that trade was made, to a team that just finished like last in the league or whatever it was. And you're like, no hope for the future. And you're like, oh, well, there's my career down the drain, probably. Yeah, and just exploded like it was an episode of Real Housewives. <laughs> yeah. The, was Chris Tierney in the Uber? No, no, no way. Oh, I no, it was, was uh, who was it? Duchesne, Shabbat, Shabbat, I think DeBello. Was DeBello in the Uber? Yeah, yeah. Oh man, I for, that that feels like ages ago. The Uber. Yeah, that's that's crazy. Yeah. I, oh, anyway, yeah. what? A, yeah, let Chris Tierney rip. Get a get a good run. No, I mean, it, the funniest Chris Tierney memory is this year when he scored with every part of his body before his stick. Oh no, Tierney was in the Uber. He was in the Uber. That's what I thought. He's part of Sense for Chris Tierney. This, guy, this yeah. is incredible. <laughs> we, I feel like it's worth a rewatch the Uber video. It's been a while for me. I might have to do that later today. Watch the. Uber I just video. remember, and yeah, Craig's just like, "Oh shit!" <laughs> <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah. There's so many good quotes from that uh, from the Uber video. Classic Sense moments. So coming into the season, the big storyline for the Senators has to be the debut of 2025th overround draft pick, Jake Sanderson. Now, despite Dorian not yet acquiring a top four defenseman this offseason, fans are going to be very excited to see what Sanderson can do for Ottawa on the back end after he used a terrible defensive play. In regards to Jake, what sort of expectations should we have on him this season? I think that's a good question because he's obviously coming off of a, like a historically good college career and he's gotten hyped up so much and rightfully so he looks fantastic but I think it's it's really important and I don't want to I don't want to try to dim the mood or anything because you should be excited about your team's top prospects 100 percent and he looks to be fair he looks he looked good in the first 
preseason game yesterday in the rookie tournament. He looked fine. This is a guy who is, he's never played in the NHL or the AHL before, and he's coming right in and he's going to play top four. I think there is a scenario where he's just, maybe he's, maybe he's just sick. He's just, you go, he goes out there and he's gross and he doesn't, you know, he's, he's fine. But I think there is a, a legitimate chance. There's a reality that he comes in and he struggles a little bit because he's adapting to the new game and he's playing against much higher competition. And I think if that happens, it's really important for people not to freak out <laughs> and, and be like, oh, this was a bust. Like Jake Sanderson is not going to be a top four D. Like, yeah, yes, he is. <laughs> he will be a top four D. And I just think he might, people need to prepare themselves for the chance that he might need some time. Like, who knows? That being said, I'm very excited for Jake Sanderson, and I'm really I'm excited to see him play in the regular season. Uh, I wasn't the biggest fan of the idea of starting him with Travis Hamannick, um, but I've come around to that recently. I, I've, I feel like I don't know Travis Hamannick that much, to be honest. I, I know he was on the team last year near the end, and I watched, and, and he was fine. Like, he was okay. Um, and if he continues to be fine, uh, then, you know, it's a good veteran guy to have with a young kid. Um, but I just know that a lot of Canucks fans don't really like Travis Hamannick very much. And I'm sure there's a reason for that. So I'm kind of waiting for that Travis Hamannick to come around. But I, I, I don't know. I'm excited for Jake Sanderson. And, and it, you brought up the fact that they didn't bring in a D. I ask on the Zoobcast every episode that we have a guest, I ask, are you comfortable with the D core going into the season? And every single, pretty much every person has given me the same answer of yes, but not really. Like if, if they have to go into it like they have it, it's okay. But you're probably not making the playoffs or winning or even winning around with that. Um, so I don't know. I, I think I think they're putting a lot of stock into Jake Sanderson being good out of the gate, which you know you don't want to put all your eggs in one basket unless you're really sure that basket is not going to break. Yeah, and. I think they're really hoping that that basket, the Jake Sanderson basket doesn't break because if that doesn't work right off the, right off the bat, if that doesn't work, what are you, what does your D look like? Like, what is your lineup? That means Zaitsev's playing for sure, which automatically makes you worse. Worse. Uh, and no matter where he is in the lineup, like Sean Simpson had a tweet yesterday. He's like, no one plays well with Zaitsev. That's true. He's the, yep. no one plays well. He brings everyone down. Um, he should not be playing. That means you have Branstrom, probably playing top four, which who knows how that could go. He's shown flashes, but he's also gotten bullied around a lot in his, in his D zone. And, you know, it's very, if, if, if Sanderson has to go to the AHL or has to sit some games, it's going to be tough. Um, but I do like, I do like Lassie Thompson and, and JBD. I think they're going to be in the lineup sometime soon. Or I hope they are. Well, JBD was awesome last night yeah i i a lot of people were saying that on 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 twitter it was great to see i mean obviously when sanderson was dragging around uh, hamannick like yeah sanders in the other split squad game sanderson was the sense bestie yeah exactly and that's great to hear but at the end of the day it's one preseason it's one preseason game of course but i think if we calibrate based on historic college season what guys who do really well in college have done on other teams such as colorado or uh new york I think a well calibrated risk assessment. Oh, for sure. On Sanderson is on he's going to be a top four guy this season. Worst case scenario is he's a competent NHL defenseman. Yeah, I, I think that's fair. You know, and, and it is fair. You know, like I would have started Jake Sanderson in the top four as well. Like I'm not yeah. I'm not saying there's anything wrong with that, but it's just the point of do they have a backup plan? And it doesn't inc- and you know it we'll seems see. to be Shikran. 
it seems to be yeah but I, and and i i go back and forth with myself a lot about if it's worth doing because it seems like the, the price is astronomically high the, the price is stupid it's stupid the coyotes like, like, aren't going to get it no and, and it's you ask yourself do you want to really trade shane pinto for jacob chikrin like no. i i know no of course not like i don't i know you need a d and you know pinto might be expendable in the sense that you have Ridley Reed coming up and that they kind of play the same role, but you have Shane Pinto's good. Shane Pinto, I believe, I mean, I hope is pretty good. I haven't really seen him play that, but he's only played, you know, whatever, however many games he's played in the last two years. But I'm not willing, I don't know, I'm, I'm not willing to part with a prospect like that for Jacob Chikrin. And the thing that scares me about this is it reminds me, I've, someone tweeted this today, I forget who it was, but I, it reminds me of the Duchesne trade. Yeah, it was Bosty. Oh, was it bossy? Oh, sure. Oh, there you go. <laughs> yeah, I, I did see that. Yeah, it was it was bossy. Yeah. The nice I, the, the nice thing is is that Shane Pinto seems to be a hard no line for Pierre Dorian as well. Yeah, and, and that's good that he's taking that line. Like that, and that's what we heard from Friedman last night. Yeah. Was that yeah? It's never been particularly close. No, because Arizona's um, ask is ridiculous. And, and and to Arizona from Arizona's point of view. It's, I mean, you should be doing that. Like you, you should be trying to absolutely maximize. Like the thing about Chikrin is he's under contract. It's not like he's going to be a UFA. You have a protected asset on your team. Who's very good. You don't have to trade it. Like as much as he wants to say, I want to be traded. Like, sure. Okay. But it's not like Arizona is trying to be competitive. Like if he goes out there and sucks for them, like, like great. Yes, but are <laughs> like, okay. You don't need to trade Jacob Chikrin if you're Arizona, unless you're getting the best possible deal. Which is why I think it's going to be really hard to make this trade unless you drastically overpay, because I don't think Arizona is going to budge anytime soon. And unless you play the really long game and wait until the last minute when they're like, all right, cut, cut our losses and, and send them somewhere, you're going to overpay. So I just hope Ottawa is not the team that overpays if a trade does happen in the next little bit here. And we're talking about Shane Pinto with the acquisition of Claude Giroux and the injury that he suffered last season. Like what kind of role do you see him on this team? I, I don't know. <laughs> I, I Shane Pinto is so interesting because I, I genuinely don't feel like I've seen him play ever. Like he played like when he came up from Nodak in that, in, in you know, one of those nothing years where they're way out of the playoffs and he scored one goal and had a few assists and he looked okay. And then last year when he played and got injured right away, I don't feel like I have seen any Shane Pinto in the NHL. Like I find it, I find it personally very hard to gauge how he's going to do uh, just because I don't know how he plays in the NHL. I, I hope he gets a full year this year. I hope that he stays healthy and plays, you know, 82 or, or something games. But as far as, as the role, I think he's going to be the third line center. And it seems like a lot of people have drawn up a, a line of him with Matthew Joseph and maybe, you know, I've seen Tyler Mott on there. I've seen, I've even seen, you know, some people put Angus Crookshank on that line. who has been unbelievable uh, in the, in the preseason, in the rookie tournament. I think he, I think that, you know, that third line will be interesting. And, and the reason that I say that is because a lot of people have the top six penciled in, right? It's, it's Kachuk, Norris, Batherson, and then Stutzla, Debrinkit, and Giroux. And I was talking about this with, with Louie on the Zoomcast you know, a couple episodes ago and like, well, what if, what if you split that? What if you tried to make a great top nine instead of a great top six where maybe, you know, you're sending one of those guys down to play with, you know, Pinto and Joseph. And then, you know, maybe someone else comes up and, and plays in the top six. You can elevate their role. It'll be really interesting to see how the top nine evolves. 
uh, over the course of the year. But I see Pinto in the third line center. I think he'll kill penalties. I think they've got, I think the good thing about this Sens team is they have a lot of penalty killers, which is good. Like their PK last year, if I'm not mistaken, was actually pretty good. Um, yep. I'm pretty sure it was somewhat near the top of the league. And you have guys like, you know, Tyler Mott is a penalty kill guy. And Austin Watson, I'm not a fan of his five on five play, but he's a penalty kill guy. And that brings some value, I guess. You have Matthew Joseph with his speed and his two way play. And Shane Pinto, who won defensive and offensive forward of the year in college, uh, which is awesome. So they have a lot of guys like Pinto who are versatile, who can play offense and defense, which is really good. But that's what that's what makes him a valuable prospect for Arizona, too, right? Is you're you're getting a guy who can kind of do it all. And so I think Shane Pinto, if it, if he reaches what people are assuming his ceiling is, is going to be a really, really good third line center who can go in your top six if needed, who can kill penalties, and he can grind away some goals too. I'm, I'm excited to see how he does this year because I really don't feel like I know him that well. I do have to ask though, because he, you know, we were talking about the top nine. I'm more fascinated about the fourth line. Like who do you, who would you see filling in there? Do you see Parker Kelly? Do you see Mark Kastelik? Do you see somebody else maybe coming up the ranks? Like where do you see that fourth line right now? Well, there's, there's spots to, to grab in the fourth line, mm-hmm. right? Like that's why, that's why everyone's been talking about that. Like you said, it's tough. There's, there's a lot of guys. I, I really like Kastelik. I, I think he came in and, you know, last year and, and fit right in and he was, you know, like I said, one preseason game, but he was great yesterday. Um, and he won, you know, he came second in fitness testing this year at training camp, which counts for something. I wouldn't, I wouldn't, he's a big body. I wouldn't mind seeing him on the fourth line. And I think what that does is it, it kind of renders Austin Watson a bit obsolete. Cause like I said, he can kill penalties and he'll block anything like credit where it's due. He will get in front of any shot, which is valuable, but I just don't, he's, he's almost, he's just a detriment to the team when he's on the ice a little bit on five on five. Like they're always caved in and he's not, he doesn't have much offense. Like all of his goals last year were against Detroit in like two weeks, um, which was funny, but the, I don't know. I I like Parker Kelly there too. I think he's a nice little spark plug guy. He's kind of like Austin Watson, but a little bit better too. So I think the whole Parker Kelly can actually play. Yeah, that's exactly. Yeah. It's, it's great. And, and I think him with cash look is good. I'm going to be very interested to see what they do with Ridley Grieg this year. I, Cause I do think, I, I don't know. I, he might, I think he'll play this year at some point. I really do. I don't think it'll be in the starting lineup, um, but look for him to be on the, on the fourth or even third line. Um, there's so many guys, right? There's just so many guys, but I think if I had to give you a, 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 you know, my ideal fourth line, I guess, you know, right now it would probably be, Kelly Castellick and I just throw Gambrell on there because why not? Cause I I'd, I'd rather him than Watson. So I'd, I'd say that for now, but I wouldn't play them a whole lot, <laughs> especially, especially Gambrell. I'd, I'd, I'd maybe even want to see, you know, a, a prospect. Like I remember Reinhardt got a game last year. Um, you know, maybe bring him up and see if he can do anything. I'd, maybe I'd start Grieg on the fourth line. Why not? Um, but I would, I would definitely put Kelly and Castellick as two of my guys there for sure. They are essentially shoe-ins at this point. And the third guy, I, I just I don't like Austin Watson. Anyone but Austin Watson should be fine for me. Or do you feel that Sokolov is kind of the wild card in all of this? Sokolov's interesting because I just I, I think he's a wild card in the sense that he could make the team, but I don't think he's effective as a fourth liner at all because I just don't think he has the foot speed. And so if you're putting him on the fourth line, he's going to just be an anchor there because he's not going to have line mates that he can make plays with. He can't play make with any, he's, he's not going to make plays with Mark Castle and Parker Kelly. Like let's be honest. Um, 
and he doesn't have the foot speed to individually beat a guy. He's strong and he's got a good shot, but he won't get many chances on the fourth line. If you, if you put him in the, like, just let's say there's an injury, you need to call up a guy, plug him in the top six. I think he would do quite well. I, I think he would, you know, if, if you put him with two guys that he can, you know, that can carry the play a little bit and he can make plays with, and he can dish out passes and he can, he can shoot and he can get offensive zone time. I think that would be really interesting to see. But on, on the fourth line, I think he'd be rather useless, um, to, for lack of a better word, just because I, I don't think he would be put in a spot to succeed. Uh, one final guy I do want to talk about, and it's funny, through doing these segments, like off the record, I've had a few people ask me about Tyler Boucher. And I know that he's very much been a very mixed, kind of got a bit of a mixed reception last season with his play. They said, oh, maybe we overreach for him, whatever. Coming into this season, like, what do you make of Tyler Boucher? Do you think maybe he can prove? Do you possibly see him maybe in the AHL, the end of the OHL season? Yeah, I don't know. The, the, we, the Tyler Boucher, we, we say on this podcast, we hate Tyler Boucher discourse. <laughs> we hate it. We, <laughs> we just can't be bothered. I feel, what I would like to say is, is I have nothing against Tyler Boucher. No one should have anything against Tyler Boucher. He, it's not his fault that he was drafted where he was, mm-hmm. and he's trying his best. And he's with the 67s and he's fine. And, but I think it was really unfortunate that he went where he went because he's being put in a spot where he's just regarded as, you know, you need to perform to a level of a top 10 pick when he is objectively not, he's never going to be able to do that. I just, I don't think he's shown any indication of that. Um, I ideally, if Tyler Bruce, if the Tyler Boucher project works out, perfectly he's a third liner i believe that i think he i think maybe he can do i think maybe he can play in the nhl maybe one day i don't think he's particularly close from what i've seen i he yeah i don't know i I would like to see what he does with the 67s this year in a full year because you know to be fair to him last year was really strange for him because you know he he's got the you know he was he went back from bu and it's it was a bit wonky and he had to get adjusted to everything. Um, but he's, I, I'd like to see what he does in a full year. I, I don't know. I would like, maybe he plays in the AHL at the end of the season if the 67s are out. I'd be interested to see how he does then. But he hasn't really shown me anything in these pre in the, uh, the rookie tournament, the preseason games that would make me say like, oh yeah, like I'm excited to see him in the NHL. Because I'm really not. Um but I, I hope he gets, I, I'm rude. Like I'm, I know it sounds like I'm not, but I'm, I'm rooting for Tyler Boucher. Like I want him to do well. He's a prospect for my team. Why would I not want him to do well? And I think a lot of Sens fans have taken the stance or a lot of people that I've talked to at least have taken the stance of if Tyler Boucher works out, it's funny, but if not, whatever, <laughs> you know what I mean? Like it's, it's kind of, it is what it is at this point. And I don't know. Like, let, let's see what he does this year in, in the O. Like, that's that's kind of where I'm at. As I'm, I'm not really willing to jump to any more conclusions. Like, maybe he'll be a third or a fourth liner. But let's see what he does in the O, and then come back in a year and, and see where he's at. Do you feel that Ottawa maybe ter- scaredly took him at ten, knowing that he was going to fall into the laps of say Columbus or one of those teams like that middle first round? Yeah. Well, I, I remember reading that the Rangers wanted him, and I think they were a, a few picks behind. But even if they are, you know, scaredly. Well, first of all, I think this was a Pierre Maguire pick, hundred percent. Pierre Maguire, so oh, much. Yeah. He that was the the Pierre Maguire era is funny because he came in for like a year and then like put our team back a year, <laughs> essentially. Like it was just a wasted season um, with Pierre Maguire, which is kind of too bad. Um, but I I think 
the fact I, I think Ottawa did scaredly take him there. I think you're right. And I think that's no, I, I think they've changed the way that they do things since that's happened. But I think that that was bad that they did that because it's kind of proving that in that moment or at, at that stage of the team, they were more concerned about these grit grinder guys than trying to swing on a high upside skilled player pick who's going to make your team better. Yeah, like, and like Cole Sillinger was sitting right there. Cole Sillinger was sitting right there. And you're, you're, you're picking, you're picking 10th overall. Why are you drafting this? Why are you drafting this guy? Like, why are you drafting a, a player projected third, fourth line who's big and can hit? That's not where you draft those players. Like, if you, that's just stupid. And the fact that the Rangers were interested is even funnier. Like, they're, they're way further ahead in their rebuild. They wanted to take this guy way early. This end, going on with the Rangers. I don't know. I think the Rangers are so weird. I think I think Igor is carried that team last year, and Chris Kreider inexplicably scoring whatever, however many goals. 50, did he scored fifty goals last year. Chris Kreider. Mm-hmm. That's it's something stupid like that. Yeah, he will like Chris Kreider's not doing that again. And I'm gonna. I, we'll see what what Shesterkin. I think Shesterkin's unreal. First of all, I think he's fantastic. But it's how far could he carry that team? I think their depth is pretty bad. Like, I actually don't think past the top six that they're that good. I think Lafreniere's kind of been a bit of a bust, which is funny um, for Sens fans, at least. And their, their blue line doesn't, you know, I'm, I'm not in awe of their blue line really at all. Like, is Jacob Truba their captain now? Yes. Yep. Oh, I, I find that strange. I feel like they could have gone somewhere else with that. Panarin sitting right there. Um but I don't know. I, I think the Rangers are kind of frauds, to be honest. I, I think they'll make the playoffs, but not much after that. Honestly, Chris Kreider's I, I, 52 goal season is just yeah, unbelievable. Ridiculous. Yeah, it's insane. He'll never he'll never do that again. That, that's I thought it does a better job was going to be named captain in, in New York. Oh, that would have been a good pick, too. Yeah. Well, he's he's been he's been like a fan favorite there ever since the trade, <laughs> which, you know, rest in peace. <laughs> Zibby with the sentence. Yeah. Uh, he would have been a good pick too. And he's good. Like, I, I think the Rangers have players. I think they have good players. They also have a lot of bad players, um, which is kind of hindering what they'll be able to do, but we'll see what they pull out this year. Do you think it's funny that they brought Derek Brizard back on a PTO? Yes. I hope, I hope he makes the team. You know what? I didn't even <laughs> think of that fourth line. I'll put Broussard on my fourth line with Kastelik and, and Parker Kelly. Like, why not? Like, who cares? I think it's funny that the last time Derek Broussard played on the team, they had different jerseys <laughs> and now he's back. And he can use the other jerseys, which is kind of funny. And he's got, there was a, I don't know, I didn't watch the game. I don't know what number he's wearing, but in training camp, he wore sticky, wore Mark Stone's number. He wore 61. People were, <laughs> people were kind of laughing about that. I was like, that's kind of funny. I know. Um, I saw some people that were just like, oh, how dare he? And Mark yeah. comes out of nowhere just be like, I don't think Stone gives a shit. He's I don't think Stone, Stone doesn't care. Like, Stone's probably like, yeah, go for it, bud. Yeah, sure. I'm, I'm, I'm sure they probably still chat here and there from that cup run team, but. Anyway, the Broussard, I think Broussard's kind of washed. <laughs> like, he's not what he used to be. But it would be fun if he made the team. Like, look at the bla- what a blast from the past. If he puts up, like, whatever, like, five goals on your fourth line, like, who cares? And he's probably – it's good for the vibes. I, I think it's. I think he's friends with a lot of players on the team. Like, Shabbat took him out for a birthday dinner, uh, I think, the other week, which was kind of cool. But we'll see. I, I th- I'd be okay with him on the fourth line, in all honesty. I think that's okay. I know. If, look, if there's anything that this team can always improve on, it's vibes. Oh, yeah, totally. And, and, vibes the, are high, and the vibes are higher. Yeah, the vibes are higher right now. Like, hot Pierre Sommer brought the vibes up pretty good. And, and like I said, I've never seen people this excited for a season. We, I need, I need the regular season so bad, dude. I was talking about this like the other day with my buddies. Like, 
all I think about is the Sens, like all the time. I'm like, when it's this close to the season and you're actually excited for the on-ice product, it's like, I just can't wait. Can't wait for the games to get going. It is true. Like, it's funny because, like, living here on the West Coast, I was looking into tickets when they come to Vancouver in March. The cheapest ticket right now, the resale ticket is 86 bucks Canadian. Wow. No way. But when they first went on sale, my girlfriend was looking into this and they were selling them. Um, I'll see if I can find it. Oh, a standard ticket is $105. Jeez. For the Sens, eh? Who and that's in, the, that's in the nosebleeds of Rogers Arena. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Wow. They're the there's same a, way. There's a lot of Sens fans in Vancouver, eh? That I've that I've seen. Yeah, that's interesting. They must travel well, or they just live there. That's kind of kind of neat. I've always wanted to go to Vancouver for a game. Might have to, might have come down when the Sens are in town. Yeah, it's not a bad, it's not a bad rink. The fans are pretty laid, are fairly laid back. Okay, but if you start getting rowdy, they are not happy with you. I went, <laughs> yeah, I, I went to at least four games last season, and I'm trying to remember. I don't think it was. Dallas I think it was Tampa Bay and uh, the lightning scored and there was a guy he was way behind me and he starts chanting USA USA and the guy <laughs> in front of me turns around and goes hey will you shut the fuck up <laughs> <laughs> that's funny hey, normal Canadian hockey game honestly. yeah but even when I saw the Sens in Vancouver like I was cheering and there was this guy like two rows ahead of me and he just kind of <laughs> and anytime well, you know. Canucks scored, he looks at me and goes, Yeah, Troy, yeah. And he walks out. You know, you're doing like, a good job. Bye bye. Yeah, exactly. Every time you every time you go on the road, if you piss someone off, you're you're doing the right thing there. You're you're doing your duty as a fan. Yeah. But it's funny, every time I've gone to a game in Vancouver last season, always there's one lead jersey in the crowd. There's oh, always uh, yeah. one. Everywhere. There's always one. Always. And there's always a fucking rough riders jersey, and I never get that one. Oh, really? That's strange. Just the, it's Saskatchewan's like two provinces away. That's not close. They want you to know they exist. <laughs> yeah, honestly, you're probably right. But there's all oh, Leafs, Leafs fan everywhere you go. I, I, I watched the Sens. Uh, I was visiting my, uh, my uncle in Nashville. I watched the Sens play in Nashville. Super cool place to watch a game, by the way. I highly have heard Bridgestone's great. Oh, it's great. The atmosphere is so cool. Everyone, the fans are, are like, they're nice. Like, they're fun. And wouldn't you know it a Leafs jersey in Nashville Tennessee on a Wednesday night game against the Sens I'm like what like what are you doing here man like what are spend your money somewhere else yeah you know what I would love to do is go to a game in Columbus I want to see the cannon yeah that would be cool eh okay I feel like I, I think it would scare me I think I would be like jolted by that like even if I knew it was coming I'd be like this is gonna be loud I've, I've heard I've heard it is like very loud like it, it's it does give people a jump but it would be cool. Like, that's a cool... I wish the Sens had something like that, which I know would be, like... It's kind of hard to, like, make that up. But, like, Columbus has, like, a cannon. And I'm trying to think of, you know... Like, like the Vegas has, like, the thing that they... You know, the pregame on their... I don't know how to describe it. You're, like... It's like a noise, like an alarm yeah. maker. Yeah, like the uh, the siren. Yeah, the siren. And like, I think Carolina does that, too. Uh, it would be kind of cool if the... Vancouver does that, too. Oh, Vancouver, there you go. And maybe the Sens, Sens siren. Oh, you know what the Sens should do? I don't know if you're a baseball fan at all, but have you followed what the Mets are doing with that closing pitcher? And oh, the, the song. Yeah. 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 Give me trumpet. <laughs> they should do something like that. That would be pretty cool. If you if you find a song that a lot of people can get behind that represents something pretty cool, that it sticks. I, I think that would be pretty sweet too. There was a lot of discourse about people wanting the goal song to change or like danger flutes to, to go away which i think is, is stupid <laughs> yeah you'll always hear this discord about the goal song i think people I, I love song too personally 
Yeah. I love that. It's a jam. But I mean, for me, I, I get where people are not fans of it. But over the, it's not like this team hasn't tried it in the past. Yeah. They've the tried 10 years. No, like, no. We, here's what we do we get a guy dressed up like a beef eater sitting in the penalty box and just like books people in when they get penalties. That's all you need oh, to do. Yeah. There you just go. Full cosplay. Let's go. <laughs> <laughs> well, like you guys had in the in Vancouver there. What what happened to the to the green guys? They retired. They retired. Oh, really? Oh, too bad. I like them. Yeah. I actually met those guys in Victoria like about 10 years ago. They oh, came, no way. They came <laughs> over for uh, I think one of the junior games. And my dad and I went and I was sitting in the crowd and I had this this shirt my cousin bought me. It was blue and had a maple leaf, but it says uh, worst team ever. Oh, nice. <laughs> yeah. I'll have to try and find that photo because it is awesome. I'm, I, yeah, I'd be so interested to talk to those guys and like see how that came about and their whole their whole shtick. I miss them. I think they were, I was watching, I was literally on YouTube the other day. I was, I was trying to find something to watch. I'm like, oh, I remember the green guys. <laughs> I watched the green guys copy. They're, they're, they were funny, man. That was so good for the game that they had that there. It was hilarious. So Tim, do you have any more questions you got nope. for Adam before we head off? Nope, we're good. So Adam, I can't thank you enough for taking time out of your schedule to join us for today's segment. Now, before we let you go, first of all, where can our listeners find you on social media and where can they find the Zoobcast? Uh, I am on Twitter at Adam Copeland, A-D-A-M-C-O-P-L-A-N. I tweet about the Sens. Sometimes it's funny and sometimes it's not. Uh, the Zoobcast, okay. I hate to run this long, but the Zoobcast Twitter account is locked right now. <laughs> and, and we don't know why it's locked. Uh, but we, and we and Zoobcast Twitter is at Zoobcast. There might be a new account in the coming days because we it's can't awesome. get in. Yeah, we can't get into that one. Um, we are on all podcasting platforms, Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Amazon, anything you listen to podcasts on, it's the Zoobcast. Um, and that's I've, that's about it for me. Thanks so much for having me on, guys. This was a blast. No, it's been awesome. Now, the final thing we do got to ask, we are asking everybody this to close out our segments. How do you see the Ottawa Senators finishing this season in the division? Oh, that's a tough question. I, I'm going to say the Senators will finish fifth in the division. I think they will be right behind Boston, close. And I, as much as I want to say second wild card, I'm, I'm going to say ninth or tenth in the East at fifth, fifth in the division. That's my official prediction. Hey, guys, this is Ian Mendes from The Athletic, and you're listening to the Third Line Plug Sensecast. I want to get a big shout-out to Adam Seldo, Scott Callen, and Adam Copeland. Big thank you once again. We can't thank them enough for joining us for those segments. Now, Tim, before we have to close, do you have any final comments you want to make before we head off into this new NHL season? I just want to get right into hockey, man. Well, guys, thank you so much for listening to the Third Line Plug, Sandscast. I hope you've enjoyed it because, believe me, Tim and I love recording it for you. We're on the National Podcast Network. You can find our page on nationalpodcast.network. You can find our links to iTunes, Spotify, SoundCloud, and Google Play. We're also on Twitter at Third Line Plug is our Twitter account. Tim is at M91HoneyBadger. I'm at GreatWhiteGipster, G-R-8-W-Y-T-E-Gipster. If you want to choose an email to talk about the segments that we did for part two of our season preview show, Choose an email, third plus sunscatch at gmail.com. Until next time, guys, I'm your host, Taylor Gibson. And this has been Tim Jensey. Go, Sands, guys.